Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today I'm joined by a returning friend of the show, Bernie, to review 47 Meters Down Uncaged, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Johannes Roberts returns to direct the 2019 follow-up to his 2014 deep-sea shark attack flick, 47 Meters Down, which Bernie and I actually reviewed in episode 34 of Daily Horror Habit. So if you haven't listened to it, why don't you go back and check that out before listening to this one. Bernie, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me back on, man. I'm excited to talk about this. No problem. I figured since we both kind of enjoyed uh, 47 Meters Down so much, I'd have you on again to talk about the sequel, which I'm conflicted about, and I know you definitely are. Um, So it'll be interesting to kind of just jump through uh, and talk about what we specifically liked. And then I think for the most part, you and I are probably on the same page for some things that uh, Johannes clearly did not learn from making the first movie that unfortunately carried over to the sequel, unfortunately. But uh, so yeah, 47 meters down uncaged um, is a single serving entry in the series. It's not connected to the original one, despite them sharing uh, the same moniker. Uh, so in Uncaged, Johannes has done just that in changing up the setting of the film from the confines of a cage with a claustrophobic underwater city. Uh, we follow four teenage divers. They discover a sunken Mayan ruin, uh, but then they quickly learn that it's a hunting ground for deadly great white sharks. So I thought that we would start on stuff that we actually like kind of enjoyed about the movie because I think that that would be, probably be just a more productive conversation instead of just kind of dunking on the the all. easy dunks that this movie presents. Right. So what was something in this film that you thought it actually did well, whether it's building upon from the original or something that kind of takes a new angle on the shark attack genre? I mean, first off, I got to say the character development is flawless. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, so one of the things that I get, I don't know if it's necessarily annoyed of in horror movies in general, but like those jump scares, I feel like mm-hmm. in a lot of movies, you can kind of tell when that's coming. And while mm-hmm. I think there are certain areas of this movie where, you know, uh, certain characters get killed by that shark where you can kind of see it coming a mile away, there are other times where it is a little bit creepy how Johannes kind of, you know, progresses through that scene in order to get to that point. Um, mm-hmm. So giving him credit to that, I think some of the jump scares were pretty good. Um, but yeah, that that th- those were few and far between, unfortunately, from some of the other stuff that was going on. Uh, what about you? Yeah, so for me, I am very appreciative of the direct, especially the rare instance where a director is doing a sequel to their own movie, especially for a horror film that did the original one did well, but at the same time, it's not one that I would ever watch and assume that it was going to get like this big theatrical sequel. I would kind of assume it would be like straight to DVD or straight to VOD. Uh, kind of sequel like you see with movies like Deep Blue Sea or something like that. Um, so for him to actually come back and direct and then to take it in a completely different direction and not just give us, again, like this is a single serving film, so it doesn't share anything with the original. So I was appreciative that it doesn't feel like 47 Meters Down 2. It kind of just feels like its own movie that's independent from that, not only in obviously none of the characters from the first one return, but also just the premise in general, like we're ditching the cage and we're going and we're getting this new setting that's like incredibly claustrophobic. And it 
captures a different sense of underwater fear that I have, which is where the first one, it kind of highlights the vast emptiness of the ocean that you and I both said kind of like freaks us out. In this one, it's all about being like claustrophobic and the idea that you're going to get trapped in this and never be able to like see the sun or anything basically again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would describe, I describe this one as kind of like a slasher movie, almost in the sense that there are these strange, seemingly supernatural sharks that are hunting them. Mm-hmm. that I actually really think is cool um, and ties into uh, the jump scares that you were talking about in that like the sharks have, they're essentially like mutant sharks that they've been uh, raised in this environment where they can't see. So they're blind, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like relying on their sound, like uh, echolocation and things like that to hunt everybody down, I think is a really cool twist on a concept that could have been really played out and just kind of like a retreading of the original. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, this does what I think a lot of horror sequels fail to do. It's just some of the other parts of the movie that are kind of a little bit more of the standard fare of uh, horror sequels. Right. It's like, it's kind of like my journey to losing weight. It's like the idea (laughs) is great, but the execution is horrendous. Um, so <laughs> with this, like, there are a lot of really good ideas. I, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the sharks. I mean, this had the potential, at least that specific aspect, um, to be a really cool, um, I guess, idea in, in the sense of, again, these sharks aren't your typical everyday, uh, I forget what the fish was called, tetrafish or something like that. Yeah, that, so that was the fish that they discover that was like translucent basically. And because it was born underneath, uh, it was born in the shadows essentially. So it kind of just shows how things have adapted within the uh, confines of those ruins. I'm glad you didn't throw out the Bane voice there, but um, (laughs) so that idea in itself, right? It is a very interesting concept, but um, again, the, the way that it was done, I think the CGI that we talked about in the first movie where, they looked like, I mean, there were moments where they looked like genuinely real sharks. Uh, Mm -hmm. Obviously you can tell the CGI in certain circumstances. I don't think anybody was ever under any illusions that this was a a real shark or, you know, this CGI in that sense was pretty underwhelming, I think would, would be the best way to put it. Um, But yeah, I mean the, the story of, you know, two teens who aren't exactly best friends and then they go off and do uh you know an excursion basically together where they get closer and bond and then they have to um you know they have to kind of overcome some certain enemy or you know evil in the story Mm -hmm. that that actual concept has just been played over and over so many times that um like within the first 12 minutes it's like all right, one of them is bound to probably die or like one of them is going to save the other one in some unrealistic kind of scenario, but at least there'll be a positive ending. Uh, mm-hmm. But not to like jump too far, too far ahead. My kind of favorite part of this movie was the ending um, when, you know, it kind of circles back to the bully that pushes uh, Mia played by Sophia Nelise. Might have butchered her last name there. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> when she gets pushed into the water into the pool originally and that's how it kind of starts up um the the kind of credit scene rolling um mm-hmm. at the end they're doing the excursion that Mia and Sasha played by Corinne Fox were originally supposed to do and that's how you see kind of the sharks attacking them i love that kind of you know 
kind of a bow to the story almost. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, again, kind of coming back to that execution aspect, I think they could have done so much more with it, but they wanted to end it on some random kind of happy-go-lucky feeling, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, to take it back uh, a minute to, like, just the new setting in general, because, again, the end of the movie feels very indicative of the previous film, Mm -hmm. which I don't have a huge problem with because it's the last, like, five minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. So it's like... That's not a big deal. It's not like they had another open water scenario for a majority of the film. Because then again, that would have been super played out. And at this point, it's like, why even make a sequel if you're kind of just going to do a retreading um, and subvert audience expectations a little bit? I think that might be why I'm not nearly as hard on this as I know a lot of people are, just because he tried something different and he did succeed in some ways for me. But at the same time, obviously, there are some very like glaring uh, issues, especially with like the character and the uh, plot and whatnot that deals with them. But in terms of the setting, like I think that's such a fantastic setting because again, it captures a different aspect of water fear that I have, or like oceanic fear. In that, this idea that you can get trapped under—it's kind of like if thinking about getting trapped under the ice in a certain extent. I like immediately my brain goes to that because we're northeasterners. Mm-hmm. But uh, just in terms of like what they're able to do in that space is actually kind of cool. Like there's one scene early on when one of the girls gets scared by the translucent fish that we mentioned yeah. and she knocks over a pillar and the pillar falls in the sand. And then there's like a dust up essentially of like dirt and rocks and sand and all this. And that scene is super unnerving to me because this idea that you can become like uh, desensitized to your surroundings and everything. And like your view is blocked and that's something that would happen in a cave like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not one of, it's a very kind of like organic scare that's tied to the environment itself. Instead of kind of just having all of these instances of like somebody being scared by a fish or seeing the shark. It's like, I wish that scene though, as much as I enjoy it is an example of something I wish they had done more of, which they kind of do at the end. Like there's the, um, I think it's the riptide. Yes. When they're trying to escape, um, the ruins essentially they find a way out they have to cross through this kind of like riptide tunnel that sucks one of the girls down into the bottom of it um that was super unnerving but again like those are two instances in a 90 minute movie that i really wish they had had more like that because then if you have these more like survival moments kind of it almost becomes more of like survival horror and that would help to kind of like break up the shark moments which i think are again i think it's successful in like it's depiction of how brutal shark attacks can be. Right. But at the same time, like it is returning to the well a lot of the times in terms of just like, Oh, the shark's about to get you like lunges at you and stuff. And it's like, there's four instances I think where somebody uh, swims into like a narrow crevice Mm -hmm. just out of reach of the shark as it sticks its snout in and snaps at them. It's like, there's like four or five instances of that. And it's just like, okay. We got to move on from that. Got to do something new and original. Creative ways of of kind of getting this point across. Um, Mm -hmm. What was there a moment where um, you kind of thought that everyone would die Um, or, or, you know, not to spoiler alert too much in that sense, but um, that's okay. (laughs) Did did that ever kind of cross your mind or, or did you always feel like there was a glimmer of hope for one of the two main characters? So I think something that I can appreciate about his movies is that nobody is safe, essentially. Like we learned in the previous film, spoiler alert for 47 meters down, but like one of the sisters gets killed and then they kill a couple of the guys off of the boat 
So it's like he Johannes is not afraid to kill off characters no matter how central they are. Mm-hmm. In terms of this movie, again, like he does do that, but there is kind of like a Disney cookie cutter feeling to the character arc of the two sisters, which we'll get into more. But then seeing that he has no qualms about kind of like killing off their friends and everything like that, again, I prefer because it shows that the director is willing to actually like genuinely surprise you. Like in one instance, uh, Alexa, who's one of their friends that they're cave diving with, it looks like she's going to get away because she survived the riptide. Mm -hmm. And then just as she's about to, like the shark gets her and she has to take off her mask and her tank to get away. And then she ends up drowning in the water. And it's like, his willingness to do that and to kill off characters, even if you think that there's like a brief glimmer of hope, I think mm-hmm. there's just something about that, that I can respect in a director because so often we get kind of like the ending of 47 meters down where you have this kind of like clean cookie cutter ending. It's like, okay, you should have, we talked about this when we reviewed 47 meters down in that like he should have ended the movie earlier than he did mm-hmm. because there's that instance where Mandy Moore's character has uh, I think it's carbon, it's CO two poisoning or something like that, or oxygen yeah, poisoning or whatever. Where, yeah, exactly. And she's like hallucinating, and she has a hallucination that she gets saved. But then we find out no, she's still stuck in the bottom of the ocean. And it's like that would have been the mean spirited ending. But at the same time, that would have been so much more disturbingly memorable than just her getting rescued. Satisfying. So yeah, yeah, exactly. It would have been satisfying, and it would have been. For me, it would have been another reason to tell people to go see it because it's like, hey, here's this director that it's still a PG-13 shark movie. So, you know, like to a certain extent how gruesome it's going to be. But it's like that could have been an ending that he could get away with with a PG-13 ending Mm -hmm. and make the movie that much more memorable. Mm -hmm. Speaking of memorable things, um, Mm -hmm. I I don't recall that woman's name. I think Catherine was the the girl's name uh, played by Breck Bassinger. Her death is one of my favorite deaths in all shark movies. When uh, when they just rip her apart, like the oh the yeah, yeah, you mean I, you mean Nicole when she gets ripped in half by the two sharks? Oh, is played by sorry, it might be Nic- I'm yeah. looking, uh, I'm looking at the cast on here, and I might be uh, oh. <laughs> mixing those. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same person. But yeah, that was a uh, that's one of the best kills in the movie, I think. It was it was glorious in every way, both <laughs> for that character. Um, yeah, just a, a really good introduction into what these girls are facing, girls and guys, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, so you know, looking at the film in total, obviously, you know, I, I don't. I think we would both agree that Forty Seven Meters Down is better, um, albeit, like you said, it's a very different movie. Um, Absolutely. Do you see this as? Do you see any sort of themes that come from other shark movies, like odes to them in some way, or is this kind of a standalone shark movie for you? You know, I think it's true with any, with any genre movie, like there's going to be very clear influences in here. It's definitely like deep blue sea. You've got obviously jaws. Like you can't make a shark movie and not uh, capture the essence of jaws or try to replicate a lot of that essence. And I think the difference between 47 meters down being a shark genre in and of its own is that like there is a level of of mean-spirited brutality in these movies that is depicted in a way that differentiates it from other shark movies like i don't know movies like the meg or deep blue sea like those are very fantastical especially like the meg where it's this 
it's a megalodon shark. So it's supposed to be prehistoric and it's like 50 times. It's like the size of 15 whales or something insane like that. And then you've got deep blue sea where it's like the same thing. It's like a mutant shark basically Mm -hmm. even, but then the sharks in this, at least they're depicted some somewhat realistically. Like I referred to the uh, blind sharks as mutant sharks earlier in the movie, but Mm -hmm. It's not really that they're mutants, that they have special powers or that they're massive. It's just you describe them as such because they're born blind, because they're raised in this darkness. Mm -hmm. So they're different. But at the same time, like the way they're presented is still realistic. Like they use echolocation. There's two or three of them, I think, in the movie. It's not there. There's one that's, I don't know, uh, the size of a whale or there's not like 20 of them tracking people. So I think that at that sense of somewhat realism or grounding in this uh, series definitely separates it from other shark movies that get a little more fantastical with it and kind of, I don't know. It's just, they, it, it's easy to take yourself out of the experience because it's so far fetched. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this, I feel like the presentation of the scenarios is actually like pretty realistic in a way that you could see yourself in the character situation and thus, it almost feels partly like a survival movie in a lot of ways, which I like. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the merging again of that idea of claustrophobia and being in water, obviously, you know, Johannes does a great job of it. But coming back to kind of the execution of it again, I mean, they're in a Mayan temple. Essentially, mm-hmm. they got there because some guy wanted to, one of the workers of Grants wanted to have sex with Alexa. And then he's like, you want to see a lost city? Like, there would be a little bit more, I feel like. That was his in. I mean, hey, Mazel Tov, whatever helps you out. But, um, you know, I, I just think, again, the the realism to that effect that I might be, um, you know, a crusty crab saying that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, going towards the sharks, I mean, again, the, the idea was really cool. It's not as badly executed as the Meg, for instance, where there's like mm-hmm. some pouch on, at the bottom of the sea or the ocean and somehow they like enter a portal and all of a sudden, you know, there's a massive prehistoric Megalodon in there again. Right. Um, but yeah, when I, I saw those things and I, I was like, all right, whoever created this CGI effects for this was taking a lot of mushrooms because that's the only thing... that would lend itself to make this creative you know yeah i think there was i think part of it has to do with how up close and personal it is with the sharks this time around like whereas in 47 meters down a lot of the time it was more just like seeing the sharks and being aware of them yeah and it wasn't there wasn't a ton of close-up with the sharks Mm -hmm. at least if my memory serves correct i know there's a couple instances like when they get attacked at the end right um and when it tries to get them through the cage. Also, there's, I think what actually does a disservice to the shark in Uncaged is that it's albino because it's never seen the sun and it was raised in an environment without the sun. So it looks fake. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it just the way that it looks, it kind of looks fake. So that takes you out of it a little bit, I think. But in terms of at least keeping it keeping the way the sharks behave is somewhat grounded. Like I did appreciate that. It never again reaches this kind of like far-fetched fantastical notion. And one of the scenes that I think is actually really well done is when uh, Mia sees the shark for, I don't know, the second time or something and it's charging her. And then her friends start like banging things on the walls and the pillars to distract it. And like, they really play into this idea that 
this thing is hunting solely off of sound. Um, again, I don't know that they necessarily do enough with that. I think there could have been some more creative ways to go about like tricking the shark, but at the same time, like that's an instance of showing some creativity and giving us a different film than the one that preceded it. The one that came before. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, so, you know, kind of going towards the, the ending of it where, you know, a couple of people have died. I mean, Grant's death was, you know, unexpected at the moment, but I think we realized that he was going to end up dying. Um, Mm -hmm. What was kind of, what are your thoughts on how it wrapped up? Were you kind of satisfied with the overall trajectory of the movie Mm -hmm. outside of the, you know, the, the dialogue and kind of the CGI effects? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not crazy about the way the movie ends. Cause again, like we can get, we can just get into the narrative mm-hmm. now if you want to, like I'm not invested in this mean girls persona that they kind of lead the film with. Like that just kind of annoys me to no end. this. It's all about how these girls aren't getting, uh, Mia's not getting along with the like mean girls at school and they're like pushing her in a fountain and there's like no teachers. I don't know. That's kind of like the educator in me where I'm just like that, that in what world do students get pushed into a fountain? There's no teachers around. Like, I don't know. That's my mini rant. But I mean, there's like this whole mean girls persona and she's like, I don't fit in and all this stuff. I hate it here. And again, it, it's one of the main instances that it proves like Johannes did not learn certain things from making 47 meters down. Like, one thing that you and I both said in our review of it, of that film was that get just get them in the water faster. Right. Get them in the water faster. I don't care about the relationship with the boyfriend. I don't care about dating these random dudes they met at a bar. Mm-hmm. Just get them in the water faster. This is a shark attack movie. Like Jaws starts and those two are like banging on the beach or something. And then they jump right in the water. And that's like 30 seconds into the movie, 90 seconds, whatever. Mm-hmm. And in this, there's just so much focus on that relationship with between the two stepsisters and their friends and the, the mean girls at school that I just don't care about it. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that gets in the way of them getting into the water, which is obnoxious. Right. I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I didn't have a stopwatch, but I feel like it took them longer to get into the water in this movie versus that last movie. Um, and that's what I would, I would assume that, or like the dialogue is just so bad between all of them and being like caddy and whatnot that it's like, Oh my God, this is, I think I checked at one point and it was like, they get to the gear stash on that raft before they go diving. I think it takes 25 minutes or 20 or 25 minutes. And it's just like, we learned, we just got it. You got to get in the water faster. Like Exactly. I mean, we l- literally learned equally in that first scene uh, of Mia getting pushed into that fountain or water, whatever it was, as we mm-hmm. in the next 20 minutes, trying to give that background of, her dad is, yeah, we just moved down here and there's no friends and you'll fit in soon, honey. Don't worry. Let's take a, you know, a little mini vacation to get your mm-hmm. kind of head out of that stress. And yeah, well, that's kind of how every, you know, like horror movie kind of begins. So that trope kind of, again, it's just been rehashed so many different times. Um, yeah. But, you know, kind of going to the, the ending there um, where it's basically just, you know, Alexa's been killed. John's dead. Um, I don't know what happened to uh, Mia and Sasha's mom, but I'm sure she's in the background somewhere. Um, <laughs> and both Sasha and Mia getting attacked by sharks in uh, at different points at that ending. 
Mm-hmm. How the f- sorry? How the fuck are they not bitten in half? Yeah, I mean like, that that scene that entire sequence kind of like debunks my idea, my point earlier about like it's based in some reality. Because I love this. They are like so picky choosy with like how sharp sharks' teeth are. Because at one point Mia gets grabbed like around the midsection. Yeah. By a shark, and then she starts stabbing it in the face with the the shark tooth that her father gave her at the beginning. And then she escapes, but somehow she hasn't like bled to death and her organs aren't hanging out and all this stuff. And it's just like, this is a bit much. Like, how would you bite into a chicken nugget? Right. You're not going right. to slowly, you know, bite right. teeth into it. You're going to chomp it off. We're, we're a chicken right. nugget to a shark. I mean, so the, the way that, again, that was X here. I mean, I liked the way that, you know, Sasha gets hit first. Um, you know, she, in theory jumps in and she's the only person which was Amia does which is kind of crazy but it's heroic i get it's part of the movie but then when she gets hit the same exact way and then the shark comes back again as they're like jumping in the water it's like whoever wrote this screenplay should get thrown into a pool of sharks this is mia got real comfortable with cave diving real quick remember she starts the beginning of the movie she's like i haven't done it in years and then like an hour goes by and all of a sudden she's like Aquaman or Aquawoman. She's uh, yeah. just like, I'm just going to dive right in there. Fuck it. She's messing around with like the air tank and everything like yeah. that. It's like, I mean, hey, I guess, I, you know, when you ride a bike. <laughs> that, I mean, that moment's aside, I think I do like the slow-mo mm-hmm. because they didn't overuse it. I think they might have used it one time earlier in the film. But overall, like the slow motion for that scene, I think really presents that action in a way that's pretty cool and creative um creative in terms of like the movie within the term within the space of this film not creativity in terms of like the most creative use of slow motion but i think it's one of those things that kind of presents a unique angle to a pretty traditional shot in terms of just like what we would expect Mm -hmm. but one scene that i wanted to know what you thought about that i think is probably the best scene in the whole movie is when they're, it's, I believe it's Mia, Sasha, and uh, Alexa. And they have that like emergency beacon, the red flashing strobe light. Mm-hmm. And it gets to the point where they're like floating in the water and they just have that strobe light. And then it, every time it kind of flashes, you see an instance of the shark sw- circling them. Mm-hmm. And then it like is in sync with this kind of like whatever kind of beeping noise that it makes. Like that's probably the coolest shot in the entire movie. I love that shot. The only thing for me, uh, I I really sound like a Debbie Downer on this movie. I'm sorry, but it's, uh, hey, to be fair, it's not it's not as good as the original. And I mean, you t- you kept telling me, <laughs> you kept teasing me when we were hanging out the other day. You were like, "Dude, didn't you sell me on this? Like, this is a great movie." And I was just like, "Correction, this is n- I've never said that this is a great movie or a good movie. I said that this is a sequel that expands on." The original in some interesting and creative ways, but this is in no way a good movie. <laughs> right. There are entertaining parts well, to it. And it's entertaining. Right. I mean, here there's going to be movies that get made. I understand that. Um, you know, this is not by any means the worst movie that I've ever seen. But to that effect, I mean, I loved the idea of it. The first mm-hmm. like six seconds of it was pretty cool. But it happened for like 25, 30 seconds. And I was like, I want one of these chicks to get their leg bitten off already. (laughs) 
Uh, the shark is moving way too slowly for how it's beeping. Again, the concept of it is really cool. Just I think mm. the way that they executed it, it went from being more of, um, you know, kind of a horror scene to me to more of like, uh, all right, like, come on, let's get back to the the eating them or, you know, attacking mm-hmm. them in that sense. Um, I love the idea of like when that guy was using the blowtorch and he kind of, um, I forget the gentleman's name. Was it uh, was it Ben or Carl that was doing that? I think it was. Um, I'm I'm not sure to be honest. Oh, okay, they were they were pretty they were pretty forgettable. <laughs> well, granted, you only saw them for a couple of minutes. All right. Well, but. that's all the character development we needed apparently on them. Um, that's but, <laughs> but so yeah, they're just chum. They're just chum or meek for the grinder, right? Exactly. Exactly. But so I mean, again, that's that harkens back to our point of they needed to just, this movie was like, what, an hour and a half? This should have been done in 58 minutes. No <laughs> more than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, uh, I like, again, I like certain parts of this movie. So kind of to, to finish it off, I mean, this movie, definitely that there's some positives that come with it, right? But mm-hmm. I think overall, um, this is one of those movies where, if you're having some drinks one night with a friend of yours or something, you just want to throw something on, excuse me, in the background. This isn't something where you need to necessarily watch every second of it, uh, right. you know, to, to get an understanding of what's going on. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they definitely didn't deserve any Razzie awards, but they weren't winning any Oscar awards either. You know what I mean? I think that's the best way to put it. And this is one of those movies that, I think I there was some out like notable outlet that gave it like a one out of five. There was a bunch of like four out of tens and stuff like that. And it's like when I read those types of reviews or see those types of reviews, it's th- something where it's like, okay, you have to weigh the positives and the negatives. Like again, even some of the positives in this movie, they're positive in terms of just like balancing out with the negative. But at the same time, like to give this movie a one or a four, it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, how many movies have you watched that you think that this is less than like, I think this is like a five and a half or a six out of 10 or something like that. Not that like, and this is another thing that I, what's up? I said, it's still a failing grade, but yeah, I agree with you. It's a right. You know what I mean? But this is why I mostly hate review scores because people are going to see a one and they're going to assume this is one of the worst movies of the year. And I think it's like you said, like, this movie is obviously not winning any awards at the same time. It's not winning a Razzie award for being atrocious or anything like that. Whereas the narrative sucks basically, but in terms of sucking, it's, it's just very cookie cutter and kind of like Disney esque, like the stepsisters are fighting. They need something to bring them closer together. And that thing is going to be surviving a shark attack, but like the shark moments itself, which is why you go to see a movie like this. Like it's a shark attack movie. You're here to see the sharks and see them rip people apart. Like if your expectations for the narrative are like something like jaws, which has never been reached again in a shark movie, like that's unrealistic going into this. I think a lot of the kind of like creative stuff that he does with the sharks and the setting in this is actually well done. But again, there's just not enough of it. There's, it's kind of like you said earlier, there's these brief glimpses of them and they pop up somewhat frequently. But again, for a 90 minute movie, it's not frequently enough that it is like something that I would be rushing out to tell people to watch. Whereas I think we both, not to speak for you, but like 47 meters down is probably a top five shark movie for me. 
What about for you? Um, I would. It wouldn't be in my top three, but I think there's a case. Well, five. That, that's what I'm saying. There's a case oh. that I could make for it to be like snuck into the fifth spot. Uh, for 47 meters down, the first one. Yeah, the first. No, the second one's the, my number one. It's the best. <laughs> Uh, no. no, the second one, the second one is for sure not in my top five, but I'm <laughs> saying like, just in terms of like quality, again, atro- like there were some reviews that were like, this is atrocious. And I was just like, how many movies are you watching a year where this is like a considered atrocious? I don't know. Or what is the, the general quality of movies you're watching? Like right. if you're only watching stuff like Phantom Thread or... A portrait of a lady on fire or whatever like yeah i could see this being considered atrocious but that's because this falls so far out of line with what you're normally watching whereas if you watch genre movies or if you're a fan of shark attack movies there's not a lot of great stuff in this movie but it does do some things that are entertaining mm-hmm. well first off uh, let me just say i fully understand now how much more intelligent you are about movies and cinema than i am because i have no idea that <laughs> I don't know if I would say that, but the the two movies you just referenced just flew way over my head. So I'm glad you oh. asked me to elaborate on them. But um, yeah, I mean, again, in terms of, I, I love, I love the concept of 47 meters down and I do enjoy, I mean, I don't care necessarily too much about the fantasy of it's a lost Mayan Island or I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Structure basically that they yeah. fall into, right. Uh, or, or find. Um, but you know, Looking at it, you know, I try and look at positives out of everything. And this gives me a little bit of motivation almost because as horrendously bad as that script was, <laughs> and the cast, most of the CGI, like 73% of the movie, all that stuff, right? It mm-hmm. was a budget of $12 million. And the yeah. box office, it was like $46.5 million. Yeah. They almost 4X'd it. Uh, which mm-hmm. I don't know necessarily um, how much the original uh, cost and made, but I'm assuming it would be similar since they weren't, you know, there's very minimal. Uh, this one was what? 17, you said? $12 million. A 12? Yeah. So I think the original one might've been like seven or eight. Oh, wow. So even better in that sense. But yeah, um, but yeah I mean, again, so in that, in that regard, like they made money on it. So there's mm-hmm. obviously an audience for this kind of stuff. Um, but again, to what you were saying, this isn't a thing where uh, if you're looking for a substantive movie of any kind that, that I would necessarily recommend in that regard. Yeah. So I guess the big question is like, if these are going to be single serving movies that all share the moniker of 47 meters down, would you watch a third movie in this series? I guess you can't even call it a series just in terms of the zeitgeist of 47 meters down. Would you watch a third one? Yeah, I mean, I guess like if I was, I don't know, if I was like in prison for a number of years and I'd go all the, the <laughs> or hung over on a Sunday. Yeah, I mean, nothing else to do. Right, exactly. One of those two options, maybe, but uh, most likely not. I think I've kind of tapped out. Uh, mm-hmm. I like Johannes. I'm, I'm, you know, he definitely has a, a lot of good movies, but um, this, I think the way this ended and the way this was kind of portrayed throughout um i've probably kind of no mossed it on uh on 47 meters down movies <laughs> you see i think i don't know he showed such a spark for creativity in terms of giving being conscious enough i wish he had been conscious of a few more things when making a sequel but 
he was conscious enough to realize like he cannot give us a movie that is the same premise or similar premise even like out yeah they're both shark attack movies that's obviously for granted but i mean in terms of just like the whole scenario surrounding how you get these people being hunted by sharks he at least had the force the foresight to give us something completely different Mm -hmm. in terms of the setting like we swap out the cage for the mayan temple that alone i think i would want to watch a third one of these from him just for the potential of him introducing a new scenario that has sharks but and the kind of like mean-spirited brutality that i think defines this genre this series from other shark attack series uh shark attack movies but i mean that script man and those characters and just kind of like force feeding that bullshit to us so often is just so it's not offensive but it's just like exactly what you would expect and it's to the point that it's almost like, oh, my audience would is expecting this, so I'll just give it to them kind of thing. And it's like, I wish he had applied a little more creativity or a little more foresight into giving us a narrative that isn't super invasive mm-hmm. and doesn't kind of just touch upon all these different tropes, like you said, that we've seen time and time again. Um, but I don't know. I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to a lot of movies, so like, I would definitely watch a third one from him. Mm-hmm. But if that one doesn't kind of like learn from some of the mistakes of the previous two films, like then I think it's going to be time to say goodbye to uh, to Johannes's uh, tenure as a shark attack director. Right. I mean, I don't blame people for, you know, necessarily watching a third one. I'm sure there's a lot of people that thought Serendipity was a good movie. Um, but, <laughs> you know, looking at it again, there I think there's a certain level of creativity that you need to have in order to keep making these kind of movies and if you're going to keep going back to similar tropes i don't know necessarily what they're going to be able to do after this um but you know i i welcome you know johannes and the 47 meters down crew to prove me wrong and if they can come up with something that's unique or a unique take at least on the genre i would i would be open to potentially looking at it yeah, I think that's the the perfect way to wrap up because I feel the same way about it. But uh, I appreciate you as always coming on, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next time I can have you on to chat, hopefully about a uh, horror film that we both enjoy a little more. But as always, man, great conversation. I appreciate you having me on, buddy. I look forward to seeing you soon, man. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.